1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Guilty as charged podcast. Uh, we are back from our little hiatus uh with a bang. We have our first quad box of the podcast existence. Uh, because Chargers defensive tackle Braden Fajoco is going to join us today, is joining us right now. Braden, thanks for taking the time to join us, man. How are you doing today? Man,
2: bless. I'm happy to be a part of the pod. Thanks y'all for having me. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. We're gonna jump into a bunch of different things of course uh you know we're we're pro food on this podcast obviously I know that you're pro food as well uh and Tyler <laughs> is here with a special name in honor of Braden's presence sponsored by In-N-Out Tyler how you doing man
3: uh, I'm doing very well first of all we are not sponsored by in and out although I will take <laughs> it and I will shill for In-N-Out even though I also believe that it is overrated but happy to be here with Braden. this is my first time on a player interview Happy to be here with the guy who led the league and run stop rate. So happy to be uh, happy to be here.
1: Brady, I got to ask you, man, what was your uh, your first time eating at In-N-Out? Was that in the when you were in the NFL or had you had In-N-Out before uh, you got to the league and before you moved to California?
2: So I had In-N-Out. Um, I will say I kind of messed up because I had In-N-Out here in Texas. So Texas is where I reside. Uh, in yeah. season. And a lot of people like tell me like, it's not. That's not really the best place to get in and out. In and out's more of like a Cali state, so mm. it was kind of scarred off Rip just based off of eating in and out here. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'll go get Water Burger every now and then. I mean, a triple cheese patty melt. Um, But I would get, I would get in and out because whenever we'd come back from away games, in and out and McDonald's would be like the only thing open. And like mm. when I'm driving down Harbor Boulevard, looking, I'm like geez like okay mcdonald's drive through is closed, now i gotta be in and out the in and out line is long <laughs> attack always so, it doesn't help when you like get to the front of the line you finally get your food and like the patties taste like cardboard
1: <laughs> i love it a lot of our listeners are gonna not like that segment but uh oh, you know, good. Oh, i think good. it's so fun i mean i've never had what a burger but uh in and out definitely average i'm um,
4: skipped alex a little bit alex is joining us as always how you doing today man I'm doing good. Never had In-N-Out, uh, and based on Brayden's description, I probably won't have In-N-Out uh, anytime <laughs> in the future.
1: Yeah, if once we get Alex to a game, we'll be sure to skip uh, a trip to In-N-Out. I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe one of our listeners will force Alex into going, but... Skip uh... the
4: cheeseburger sub, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely <laughs> skip the cheeseburger sub. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're here to uh, have a good conversation with Brayden again. Can't thank him enough for joining us, and we're going to talk... <sighs> Uh, About a lot of different things. Tyler has prepared some uh, clips that we'll go over with Braden as well. Uh, Braden, I want to get your thoughts here because obviously the end of the season did not go as the way that all of us, including you guys, would have hoped. And Brandon Staley, of course, received a lot of criticism for the end of that game against the Raiders because he took the timeout and then because the play call after that Mm -hmm. didn't work. As a player, what what's your what are your thoughts there on the criticism that Coach Staley received for the way that the season ended against the Raiders?
2: You know, I'm not the type of guy like I I, I never like to get on Twitter and just kind of get into Twitter beef with people. You know, I, I kind of like to use my platform to educate and and try to just inform people that are misled and, and misinformed. And so I know y'all know, like leading up to the game, there was just a big scenario of like, what if we play for the tie? And yeah. Especially after Jacksonville beat Indy and and the Steelers took care of business. And so we're sitting there in that that overtime, that final drive, and um, you know they're running the ball really well, something we didn't expect they would do. And throughout the kind throughout like the flow of the game, we kind of contained the run game up until like late fourth quarter overtime is when they kind of started to break loose. And they get to that play, and we're in dime personnel. And I kind of talked about it on Twitter when I was when I was replying to Emmanuel Acho because he had kind of just said, like, Brandon Staley outsmarted himself, and I disagreed with yeah. that. Vegas came out in 11 personnel, and we could have ran our defense in dime, but it wasn't smart. We were still a five-man box. We are kind of light, six-man, I mean, nickel, dime, whatever you want to call it. We brought Linvall into the game which is, I mean, you're not going to want to not stop the run without LJ. And uh, they ran the ball. They still got eight or nine on that play. And um, to me, like, whenever I hear people talk about, like, why did your coach take the timeout, It was like, regardless of whatever we did, we didn't make a play when we had to. You know, I felt like we could have helped out and and just protected our coach a lot better. and And the coaches expect a lot of us, like, whenever – Earlier in the game, you know, we went for it on fourth down inside our own twenty or thirty. People are like, why are you going for it? Well, that just shows the trust he has in us, right? Because Vegas came out and we shut him down. We had him do a field goal. And, you know, to me, that shows us in a sign, like our coach trusting us. And whenever I see stuff, whenever I see the bashful, the hate, the criticism, that's when I really like to step up and and talk about, all right, this is the X and O's behind it. This is why we're doing it. And If there's any questions, I'm here all day. We're not in the playoffs.
3: Yeah, no, I love that. And one of the things you pointed out earlier in the season was same thing. You don't like to go out and bash or whatever, but you saw, I forget who it was, criticizing the second down runs against the Patriots, Mm. despite the fact that you had 75-yard runs from Justin Jackson. Mm. We're very successful on second down, so I appreciate that. So uh, something interesting that you mentioned a second ago, you didn't expect the Raiders to maybe be able to run as well. Is that just Mm. because last time you held them, um, and then, if they ran so well this time, what was the difference between the first time you guys played them, where you did hold them, and then this time where it was a little bit more of a challenge?
2: Well, if you watch the Raiders on film, I, and I think statistics and analytics, whatever you know, the smart people behind you know want to want to criticize it as, but I think they're undefeated. Whenever Derek Carr throws for like 300 or something like that, and and Josh Jacobs, when we played them earlier in the year, what's up? Josh Jacobs, when we played them early in the year, he wasn't running effective. And it could have been through injury. It could have been, you know, whatever was holding him back. But throughout the flow of that game, we felt like we contained the run pretty well. And I think they only had, like, going into halftime 30-some yards, 35 yards on the ground. So coming out of halftime, we didn't expect them to run the ball. You know, if you go into halftime as an offense and you have 35 yards on the ground and you're up whatever they were up, 7 or 10, I believe, going into halftime, they're going to try to run it, but if it's not successful, they're going to try to air it out. And Hunter Renfro is a really good player. Darren Wall is a really good player. Um, Zay Jones has been, you know, having a a really good finish towards the second half of the season. So the Raiders' identity as an offense is not to run the ball; it's to pass the ball. You know, they'd like to get the run game going, but that's not their bread and butter. They're not the Cleveland Browns. I mean, heavy run teams. They're not the Baltimore Ravens. You know, they're they're yeah. We're not preparing for them to line up in heavy all game and for us to empty out stopping the run. I think that's just what plays a a big identity and, and just a big thing going into later in the game is if, you know, you understand what a team's doing and, and it just so happened they started to peak at the right time during the game.
4: Yeah, I just wonder uh, how much you think kind of the difference in the games is more based on how they were played. Obviously, the first Raiders game is pretty simple, cut and dry. I mean, you guys win 28-14, mm. uh, sort of going away, not super competitive in the fourth quarter uh and then this one is obviously a 5 hour marathon of a game that you know everyone is laying on the ground by the end of the game Mike Williams and everyone's leaving it all out there and of course you know in overtime as you alluded to it, it felt like the defense was a little bit tired do you feel like the game script and how that game sort of got out of hand for both teams maybe contributed to you guys being a little bit uh not as great against the run
2: you know one thing i will say um if you watch the first game i think especially playing at home it's home having a home field advantage is always a big thing but the raiders like and and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think they kind of developed the identity just from a player standpoint like as i watch film on the raiders as i'm preparing all week i kind of feel like their identity was like we want to do this we want to do this we're not sure if we want to do this but eh, if this works we'll do it like our offensive identity was, hey, get the ball in in, in our star players' hands and, and just let them eat, you know? Yeah. With the Raiders, it was sometimes like when they played the Colts, oh, let's isolate Hunter Renfro. Like, that's not what they did against us. Hunter Renfro had like three catches against us, but they were all in the red zone. Balling, yeah. Like, yeah, Two of them for touchdowns, something like that, you know? Darren Waller was isolated on linebacker. They didn't really do that against us. And it was one of those things where, yes – Fatigue played a huge role going into that overtime, going into that fourth quarter because it was just such a long game. But as you start to look at the factors that add up to it, I think as a player, we could have helped our situation a lot better. You know, the Denver game in Denver, the Minnesota game, the the Houston game, just games that we kind of just let go and kind of got ahead of ourselves. That when it came to the Raiders in week 17, we shouldn't even be playing to play into a playoff spot. You know, I I feel like we were too good of a team to have to play our way into the playoffs. And I know for a fact you can ask any player or any team that's in the playoffs right now, nobody wanted to face the Chargers in the playoffs. Hmm. There were certain points this year where we were just utterly dominant, even that Kansas City game on Thursday night. Yeah. I mean, we defensively, we... you take away the fourth quarter and we're a perfect team. You know, it's, it sucks that you have to play four quarters in a game, but we had the recipe and the formula. Um, And it just, it's growing, it's growing pains and some things you just got to learn from experience. You know, a lot of guys coming together in a first year scheme, first year head coach, we're still learning with each other. And Although there's a lot of um, sour taste in our mouth from how our season ended, there's a lot of positivity going forward because of the growth we took this year as a team.
1: Yeah. I think that's really spot on Braden. And I think, you know, this team really does feel, you know, just a little bit away. I mean, obviously you have your LSU tiger stuff behind you and obviously we're all hoping that, you know, you can have similar success in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you just kind of, you know, general thoughts from this season because you know, you're undrafted out of, out of LSU, Mm -hmm. And both seasons, you've kind of gone back and forth between a practice squad player and then a regular player. Mm -hmm. I I guess my question is, like, as that in that situation, what is that like for you? Because, you know, we've heard several players, you know, talk about the undrafted free agent journey. Obviously, Austin Eckler has talked about wearing number three and, like, not knowing, you know, the coaches didn't know his name and stuff like that. What has your journey been like so far
2: in the NFL? It's been great. I mean... It hasn't been uh, the Cinderella storybook chapters you want it to be, but man, I wouldn't change anything leading up to this moment. You know, last year, a COVID year, you know, the hard knocks year, as I like to say it, it was (laughs) to me last year was just kind of like a learning experience. Like just want to get my feet wet. Kind of want to develop more. When we first started out the season last year, I knew I could play in the NFL, but I knew I had to polish my craft. So I knew I wasn't ready yet. So I was fine with, Developing, being on the practice squad for however long I want it to be. Second year rolls around. I, I play two games my first year, kind of getting the action, um just developing, learning from the older guys, learning from you know gif our D line coach, what he expects out of you know our D line play. And then second year rolls around. I kind of just start to put more pieces together. And ideally, I I probably want to start the year off on the fifty three, as every guy in the NFL. But that's just not how sure. it works, you know. Some guys take a different route to get to where they want to be. And, and some guys just are behind in the race. As I like to say, everybody's got one finish line and some guys just start at different points. And for me, I had to start where I started last year on the practice squad. And it's a little humbling, you know, especially you going into your second year, you're thinking, you know, I've higher expectations for myself, but what it taught me this year was patience and dedication. Um, I knew I had the talent physicality. I had the mentality to to be a Charger, be an NFL player, but it really tested my patience and my dedication of, do I really love this game? You start to develop appreciation more for football and just for timing. Cause a lot of players, when you talk to them, they'll say the NFL is all about timing, which is true, right? The NFL is all about timing and, and getting your shot. But if you get your shot and you get your time and you don't execute, then you may never get another time frame for that again. Yeah. And so I was grateful this year for starting on practice squad because I knew that all right. This is where I started last year. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to grind for whatever how long I need to. If I'm on practice squad the whole season, that's what it is. That's just destiny. Things are going to happen. And so you just got to work. You just got to stay patient and you got to you got to have dedication because you never know when your time will come. And and if it does come, you have to execute.
3: Yeah, no, I think all Chargers fans, honestly, I can speak for all of us where everybody kind of fell in love with you last year, sh- sure, with hard knocks, but also this year, we could tell that every time you were on the field, everything just meant so much to you. And every time you made a play, you had the same kind of go to celebration where it's like a two arm flex, And you were doing that <laughs> frequently, whether it was special teams, run stops, whatever it was. You know, we can tell that you just had that passion so you making the most of it and it's fantastic to hear i'm glad you're so humbled and so changed by the experience and i hope in year three things get better
2: hey that's that's the nfl you know one thing i learned is is you gotta control what you can control and if you can what i tell myself every day is if i can work hard and, and do what i can every day and, and just know that every time i leave that field at Hogue or wherever we uh, when we practice in, in costa mesa at, at the at the community college Every time I leave that field, I know that I give them all. I'm fine with that. I can I can go home at the end of the day and close my eyes and sleep at night.
4: Stephen referenced the uh, LSU days. You have that picture in your background. I wanted to ask as someone who was on that national championship team, uh, did you see any of this like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase stuff coming? Or it, was that just kind of, you know, on the spot? Or how, how did that all come about?
2: Yeah, man. So when I was watching the draft last year, and you know, I know that everybody had mocked the Bengals to honestly probably take Rashawn or um, I, I forgot who were the other old line like uh, Tanee mm-hmm. you know. And and it was like huge, like whichever old line the Bengals were going to take, Detroit was going to take, and then you know. And so when they took Jamar, I actually wasn't surprised, right? And I knew Joe had a big input. I think that just goes to show like how the game's changing. Like at LSU, man, what we did like to the championship years, I said everything was so simple and and dummied down to where, like what we do here at the Chargers, it's one-on-one, put your best players in the best position to make plays, throw the ball up and let them go get it. And I think that's just a testament to what they're doing in Cincinnati. I mean, Joe and Jamar and T Higgins and Zuma and all those guys, Joe Mixon. They're just—that's what the NFL is. It's honestly winning your one-on-ones and doing it consistently, and that's exactly what Cincinnati's doing.
1: Yeah, uh, you know the the Bengals are a really interesting team. Obviously, they have a ton of talent. I, I got—I want to ask you on record: uh, 2019 LSU versus 2020 Alabama championship game.
2: Who wins <laughs> that game? And this is this is—I'm assuming Bama's fully healthy, right? Like, yeah like some, no injuries to yeah no Devontae yeah,
1: yeah. injury no Jalen wall injury everybody's healthy okay. you know mac jones versus joe burrow mm-hmm. all that good stuff barmore versus Fajoco, you know all that good
2: stuff i here's here's what i think both offenses are high powered mm-hmm. um i have a lot of respect for mac jones as a quarterback and a lot of people are probably going to be surprised about it but when he was coming out of the draft like, as a backup at Alabama, a lot of, not a lot of people realize, but Bama really produces complete players. Like, mm-hmm. they're not star-studded all the time, but you're going to get reliable, dependable players, kind of like LSU. It's just how the SEC rolls, Georgia, Florida, all these teams. But, man, I just feel like we just had – and I'm big biased, but I just feel like we just had some dogs, man. Like, yeah. when it comes down to it, I think we'll get more turnovers. I think our secondary was a lot better – than Bama's secondary. I mean, Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, Jacoby Stevens, Kerry Vincent, three of those guys went drafted, one of those guys won the, the Thorpe and um, Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen, uh, Caleb on chase on Rashard Lawrence, myself, Tyler Shelvin. I mean, Neil Farrell, who's a guy that's coming out this year for LSU interior lineman. I think he'll get drafted in the first three rounds. I just think we we match up better on defense than they do against our offense.
4: Yeah. See, Stephen, what Braden wanted you to do there is he wanted you to list Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle and Christian Barmore. So then he can make it more impressive when he would inevitably pick 2019 LSU. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, they're funny. really
2: they're a really good team, though. They're really they beat a really good Ohio State team in the national championship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I uh, when we were setting this up, I messaged you back and forth, too. And I was one of the things I was excited about was hearing some stories about Coach O. Because obviously, uh, you know, I wish he were still at LSU. You know, it is what it is, you know, yeah. an unfortunate ending there. But what's your best or favorite memory of Coach
2: O? True story. All right. This is no no like added incentives, nothing. So we're in Oxford, right? We're getting ready to play Ole Miss. My senior year. And you know, Coach O was at Ole Miss, and man, yeah, he was just there are just no good common grounds there, you know, with Ed Orgeron and Ole Miss. And when we first get to, to Mississippi, they put us in like the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like the shining, like this hotel we're at is like <laughs> super weird, like old wooden walls. You open the front door to your room and it's like creaking and, and rattling, whatever. So we always have these. These team meetings or, or we call them like checks where whenever we go in, it's like two, three hours before the game, before we leave to the stadium. We always have roll calls. So it's quiet. You know, everybody's kind of locked in. And then Coach O comes running in, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, getting everybody pumped up. And we got music playing as soon as it, it goes from quiet to just boom. And then we do the roll call with the depth charts, and everybody's yelling, dapping up each other. So we get in there, and Coach O walks in, and he has two Red Bulls in his hand. And like Stone Cold Steve Austin style, he gets up on the table in the front of the room, bangs them both together, shotguns through Red Bulls, rips off his shirt and just busts the table. And he did this twice. He did that my senior year when we played Ole Miss. And then he did that my junior year uh, for the same for the heartbeat meeting when we played Alabama at home in Baton Rouge. (laughs) Crazy, crazy. Oh, my gosh. That's
1: amazing. I love that story so much.
3: Okay, real quick then, because you mentioned The Shining and this this haunted place. Tell me about your haunted hotel experience this year. Yes.
2: Crazy. So we're in Cincinnati, and if you look on that tweet I posted, Trey Turner had commented. Um, he was like, is this the Hilton? And I was like, yeah, because yeah. that's how the NFL is. Most teams kind of stay at the same hotel, um, sure. so rotating in and out. And so we get to the hotel that night, and it's just real weird. Like you know when you walk into like a hotel, you know if it's a haunted hotel or not, just off bat. Like you just know, like I don't like this place, weird vibes. Get me out of here. So I'm in my room and like I just the whole night I just couldn't sleep, tossing and turning. Next day, I get down to breakfast, and that's where the stories start coming out. So I go to Ryan Hunter first. And Ryan's like, Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't sleep last night, and I was like, What happened? And he goes, Well. I go into the bathroom and on the, I turn on the light and on the mirror is the word faith or the name faith. And he hasn't taken a shower yet. He hasn't like, it, it looks like somebody had just written faith. And so I told him, I was like, so what'd you do? He's like, I mean, I took the quickest military shower you ever heard of. And I got <laughs> my butt down to, to breakfast and that was one. And then Kaiser. I'm pretty sure if Kaiser sees this, he'll he'll confirm it. So, Kaiser said he walked into his bathroom, and his water was already running, like his shower water, like he was about, like somebody was about to shower. And he he said, as soon as he heard that, he turned it off and came downstairs and he took a shower at the stadium. (laughs) Oh my gosh, no way! So just crazy things like all around, and then like I'm getting my ankles taped before the game. And Larry Roundtree sitting next to me on the training when He's like, you know, I'm trying to focus locked in. Larry's like, yeah, bro. You know, one of the staff members last night was telling me, like, people would go up to the 15th floor and jump off. And and that's why, you know, there's like, like this and this and this. I'm like, yo, Larry, like, you got to chill, bro. We're about to go. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear about people jumping off the 15th floor.
3: Oh, my gosh. What a story. Well, the only one seeing ghosts that day was Joe Burrow. <laughs>
2: i mean it's crazy now he's just he's like the sixth sense they're still going to the playoffs now you know (laughs) yeah that's crazy um so ryan hunter you you've
1: mentioned him a couple of times obviously you interacted he won the ping pong tournament am i right
2: incorrect ryan no the first ping pong tournament was won by steven Anderson. the second Uh ping pong tournament ryan was in the championship but we never got to do it our season ended So the first tournament, Ryan lost in the semis to uh, Steven and Ty beat me in the semis to go play Steven. And like Ty will, Ty always gets on Twitter and Steven gets on Twitter all the time. And they talk about like, Murray, you're not good at ping pong. But like, (laughs) there's times where like, I don't know if you guys know who Ma Long is. He's a professional ping pong player. I am just like, we just reciprocate each other. And then the day we signed Dustin Hopkins is the day like all right, like this, this stinks. Like nobody's at his level. This is not fun anymore. Cause like, we're all amateurs. Like but we're pretty good amateurs to where, so the way we classified in our locker room is like, you're a good player. And then we have like elite, which is Dustin Hopkins. And then we have like the bot lobby, which is like, you know, Michael Bandy, uh, Jason Moore, um, Matt Overton, Jerry Tillery, um, Joey, I would consider a really good player, but we just called all those guys bots, like just not good at ping pong, Scott Quistenbury, like they just want to have fun and hit the ball. So we get Dustin Hopkins and like, he's just watching us play ping pong. And he's like, oh yeah, we had a, you know, we had a table at Washington and, you know, guys are competitive and like, you know, specialists, they're either really good at two things. They're either good at ping pong or they're good at golf. (laughs) Because okay. I mean, they just spend all their time. I mean, when they're not in meetings, they're either playing ping pong or they're shopping for golf, uh, golf clubs online. So we get out of meetings and we come out and Dustin Hopkins is just butt booty spanking Ty long and Matt Overton on the table. Like it's sure. so bad. I mean, Dustin, the way he holds the paddle is just, it's crazy. Probably one of the best players I've ever been around. Pat Mahomes, really good ping pong player as well. Justin Herbert, really good ping pong player. Um, we had some battles there at Texas Tech too as well. I told Justin about it too. I said, you know what's crazy is like I would love to see you and Pat. I mean, I know you guys are like arch nemesis, AFC West rival quarterbacks, but I'd love to see you guys in a ping pong match cuz you guys are two really good players. So basically what I'm gathering is that at the Pro
1: Bowl, instead of doing dodgeball, they should be doing ping pong.
2: There needs to be a there needs to be a ping pong game cuz Justin, Justin is the way he holds it is like the way like he holds the paddle down. Like us, we hold the paddle like this. He like does the invert way. And Pat was, uh, when he plays ping pong, he's just like, he's normal, but he's just an absolute killer. Like they're both like real killers in ping pong. Crazy. Wow. And both really good at golf too. That's what I'm saying. Like it's quarterbacks and specialists, man. They're just super talented. Like linemen are just, the only thing they're really good at is like cooking you know, like throwing ribs on the Traeger. Like if you look at any lineman's, like Instagram or Twitter, they're either eating or probably playing games. So, and most of the time they're just cooking on the Traeger. Oh, man. That's that's not, man. We, us
1: guys got some other talents too. Come on now. <laughs>
3: Steven, what's your other talent, man? Uh,
1: I don't know, man. I was really good at basketball <laughs> in high school, I guess. I don't know. I talk about linemen. That's my, that's my talent. <laughs>
2: you know, linemen, linemen really don't like the spotlight, but no. one thing just being around, like, I love being around offensive line and just cause you know, I'm around D line all the time. That's just, that's my brothers. That's, that's the guy I'm around, but offensive linemen are like really hilarious when you just around them <laughs> all the time, like Scott, Corey, I mean, O'Day, like, those guys are just hilarious. Like, Ryan, all he does is talk about, I can't wait to get back to Kansas City. Like, I have a menu of what I'm going to throw on the Traeger. I just got this new beef rub I ordered online. Like, bro, like, I can't wait to try it. Like, Lyman, old Lyman in, in general are just hilarious. But like, they're funny guys.
1: Checking all the stereotype boxes right now. Um, all right, this is something that I was really excited to. Tyler has a collection of plays that we wanted to go over with uh, with you today. So, Tyler, uh, let's get started here. Yes, great first choice here. Let's run through. Yeah, it. I
3: have to. So, I got to know. So, originally it was Chris Rump out here on special teams. He'd been working all year and improving really well. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hits. And then mm-hmm. now, what is it? What is the meeting like? Because I don't know how often nose tackles are asked to leave block on, <laughs> on kickoff return. A, is this frequent? And B, how did this conversation go? Did you know
2: that you were next in line? So in, in preseason, um, when S- Coach Swinton first came out with the, with the depth charts, mm-hmm. that position right there, what I'm playing, is called the wing position. And normally he likes a bigger guy because it's kind of like the last line of defense. And usually the first guy the wing hits are usually like the most dangerous players, like the hard hitters that kind of get through on kickoff. Mm-hmm. So it was me, Chris Rump, Joe Gaziano pretty much like all the interior D line, like all the younger interior D line that, that wasn't playing as much. We were all in the depth chart. So I knew I was on KOR didn't know I was going to start against Houston <laughs> until like week of like, okay, Chris gets COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Oh yeah. Joe's going to be uh, um, starting like, like, you're not worried about it. Cause you're like, oh, I'm just kind of going to focus on my job. Then Joe gets COVID and it's like, <laughs> wait, Chris, joe <laughs> and i'm like oh my god <laughs> like in Step Brothers when he's like you know oh my god <laughs> yeah i was like yo i'm about to be the starter on kor so i get out there for practice and swinton's like you ready i'm like let's go let's do it like totally confident didn't want to show him but deep down i was like I'm about to get sniped on Sunday <laughs> if I don't get my butt together. And uh, that's how it ended up going. And, and I knew I was kind of, I'm kind of prepared through it. I did a lot of scout team KOR, you know, for the mm-hmm. starting kickoff team during practice, like throughout most of the year until I got active and it um, was ready for it. I was prepared and, and I'm glad Swinton gave me the start on KOR and, you know, made him proud.
3: Oh, we're all very glad you got the start on yeah. Karawai. This is one of the best things I've seen all year. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're worried about getting sniped, you were more of a tank in this situation. So uh, for those watching, <laughs> folk, goes right here. Uh, we're just going to run this through. I couldn't make out the number of the player, but I'm willing to bet you're about 100 pounds heavier than this guy.
2: <laughs> it's it's funny that you show this clip. So the guy actually hit. We had He was with us for two weeks during the season. Oh, um, he, his name was Josh. I forgot his last name, but we had like signed him from Denver. He was like on the practice squad with us for like two or three weeks. And um, I forgot his last name, but like I had hit him. And like after the game, I, I didn't remember. And then he you came had a up reaction. To me. Yeah, <laughs> he came up to me. He's like, man, you did not have to hit me hard like that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sorry, brother, just doing my job, man. But it's crazy. I seen him coming down full speed. And um, the whole point was to get this kick return with Bandy to the edge and to the sideline. And I knew if I had kind of taken an angle. So Bandy kind of bends it to the field first, which causes Josh or the, yeah, Josh, the, the Texans player to kind of take an angle more towards the field. So I knew that I didn't need to go chase him up front. So I knew if I just kind of just stayed patient, Bandy actually makes this block work by kind of bending it to the field and then immediately hitting it back to the boundary. And then all I got to do is just lower my shoulder and and get in his way. And I mean, it's going to work out 10 out of 10 times for the bigger guy.
3: Yeah, it worked out frequently this game for you. Not (laughs) bad at all.
2: So was it uh, Josh Watson? Josh Watson. That's who it was. Yep, Josh Watson. There you go. I must have missed that one.
4: I, think, right, I think we all missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I might have missed that, uh, that announcement. Just uh, going back to that special teams play, were you relieved uh, that eventually Gaziano and Rumpf come back, or was there part of you that, you know, just wanted to keep going on that special teams KR and starting?
2: <laughs> Trust me, as a big guy, you always get relieved when you get, <laughs> you know, being 315 pounds and, and trying to keep up with, I mean, the heaviest guy on this return is probably, I'm trying to look, maybe Steven Anderson 220 ish 230 and so trying to keep up with with the skinny guys especially like the hard. the game isn't really hard it's practice when you got to run continuous reps in a row and like the scout team guys like I was once doing it and they're just hauling a down the field and you're like geez like bro slow down and you (laughs) uh, you have to be ready for Sunday and Swinton's like run it again Staley's like come on break like block him and I'm like oh and I'm just like yes sir you know just like <laughs> breathing and wheezing and you don't want to show him you're tired but um it's it was a it was definitely a relief when when Chris and Joe came back and it was like all right now I get to just focus on being a defensive lineman <laughs> oh man that's awesome wow, that's all awesome. right Tyler let's get to the next one yep
3: for sure Okay, so first defensive play of the Sunday Night Football game against mm-hmm. the Steelers, a game that started kind of like how we all thought and then completely went off the rails. But this was your first time getting really, really serious action this year. Yep. I know you played a little bit more against the Ravens, but this mm-hmm. was, I think, the most snap you had played all year. So this is the first play of the game. Okay. And I believe that the same thing. There were guys out with COVID or injury. Yep. Um, don't necessarily...
1: had COVID. I think, right?
3: I believe so, yeah, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um I don't necessarily have anything for you know, to ask you to break down other than just what were you looking at here? How did this work out? Do you remember this play? Um, I'll go ahead and run it through real fast.
2: Definitely. So, I mean, pre-snap, right? I look at, I look at 85. If you kind of point, uh, rewind the play, mm-hmm. like to, like even before this guy starts motioning, just watch 85, just keep going, keep going. All right. You'll see him point right? You see him right there, 85. So I see 85 ID out. All right. And, and as it nose tackle, like coaches always telling me, like focus on little things. And then once you start getting that, then you can worry about everything else. So I see 85, right? And I see 85, his ID is outside. So I know 85 is going out. So most likely from 88 to 76, like I'm pretty 80%, 90% sure the line's coming to me, which means Mm -hmm. the zone flows. I'm going to, I'm going to receive a lot of heavy flow from 60 Trey Turner might combo off of me. He might not, but I know most likely it's going to be the center, Kendrick Green, and um, and JC Hausner. So play roles. I take a slant step. Um, so I can play into that double a lot better than just playing it base like that. And I play into 60, which leaves 53 first play of the game. So you kind of know guys are gonna be a little jittery and a little more anxious because that's just how it is. You know, guys want to get out there, hit somebody. So I know if I can beat 53 off the snap, I know I'll catch him leaning, and I know he's going to fall down. So I get my hands on 60, and all I do from that point is I just kind of just lock out 60. I just try to find Najee, and I can tell that it's not going outside because Joe does a good job right here of setting the edge on Trey, and JJ does a good job of penetrating, which causes Najee to cut back. So me and JJ, honestly, in this position, switch gaps. JJ penetrates inside, and I kind of just naturally come around him and find the loophole of, there's Najee. And I made the play, but honestly, Joe and JJ really did the dirty work, and they really made the play mm-hmm. for me. Boom.
1: I think this was – was this Justin Jones's first game back or his second mm-hmm. game back?
3: I want to say it was his first.
2: I think I so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But J- playing next to – I mean, playing next to JJ and, and Joe and – I mean, just and Jerry and, and Cove, like those guys make it easier because it's you can when when you play football and you play next to guys who like who know what they're doing, you know, and, and understand, you know, how things work together as 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 a whole to equal one unit, it's special, man. And like yeah. JJ this game, the whole game on the sideline, like he was just so happy for me and Joe. You know, we got our first start and he was just continuously like man, keep going. Y'all keep going. I'm, I'm so proud of y'all. Like, you know, keep going. Like, don't, don't look back. Don't look back. And like, that's one thing I will say is like, just off the, off the field, just a great guy, great personality. And I mean, I know it's his, it's his last year. And I just, I wish, I mean, he deserves it all. You know, he deserves a whole lot of money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. I think, you know, we're all on the same page there. And I think this play really kind of shows, you know, obviously you said it like you make the play, but, You know, Justin Mm. and Joe, are. this really shows that to be a good run defense, you have to have everybody working in the same kind of mindset, same kind of approach. Everybody has to do their job all at once and really be that cohesive unit.
3: Yes, very
2: true. Very true.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that speaks to the next play as well. I mean, you guys, you know, for all the chatter, I guess, about the run defense or, Mm. you know, I I think what something was underrated about your defense is the way you guys were able to hold from like the five yard line to the goal line, for whatever reason, you guys just played fantastic. And there's another mm-hmm. play on here. You could talk about the uh, the Broncos, whatever that thing mm-hmm. was to Drew Locke. You know, plenty <laughs> of plays, plenty of plays this season where you guys were just able to hold really, really well. And this is one of them. Another one where everybody around you, you make the play, and you're part of the play here. But everyone around you is also functioning very, very well to make this play work.
2: Yeah. So I'm gonna start with JJ here. I think, if I'm not mistaken, JJ literally blows this play up. Um, He blows the center up like five yards in the backfield. Um, Joe buries his guy on the ground. Joey steps out and I get a double team from uh, Trey and I forgot that tackle's name. So I knew that there was going to be a lot of penetration coming to me. So I try to split that double team like this is all pre snap. Right. And so mm. I have a heavy feeling just going up against Trey last year on, on scout team. You just, I knew what type of player he is. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to let Trey get his hands on me. Like I'm a big guy. I'm pretty strong, but Trey Turner is a pro bowler, right? And I'm not going to yep. let this man get to his bread and butter in the run block game. So I knew Trey's the snap man. He checks with Ben to get ready, get set. And usually is that guy, Trey, most guards, whenever they do that, like we do it, a lot. Of, a lot of teams offensively do it. There's a guard that always checks with the quarterback to make sure they're good pre-snap cadence to get going. So that guard really isn't looking right to see what the front is and, and to see like what's going on on the defensive side of the ball. So usually there's a lot of like communication going on and and this guy's looking here, this guy's looking there. So I know as soon as Trey, you know, has to get set, I see that feeling of. OK, he's coming down here and I know 76 is coming with him. So I'm going to try to split it as fast as I can. And then once I split it, I know that I have the A gap. So I have to kind of bend it back and try to recover that ground as quick as I can. Because I actually hopped out of my gap here, right? Like in a way, this isn't ideally on paper. Braden, you have to play your gap because my gap here is the A gap. But it's football. It's the goal line. You're not just going to sit there and take a double team. Somebody's got to make a play. That's kind of the mentality you got to have when you go down there is somebody make a play regardless. And, you know, it's the two-yard line. You're not going to play conservative. So I play the double team, and everybody just kind of just – this is really – like Nas, when he fits this C-gap right here, mm-hmm. just amazing. And then Drew Drew scrapes, Derwin plays it. And then, I mean, this whole drive series, this play, and then the shovel path uh, yeah. and fourth – this was probably like one of the most like elite things I've ever been a part of. Cause everybody, like every drive, I mean, every play of this drive was just like elite play from this player, elite play from that player. And it's just like, this is things like this is, is why you play the game
3: yeah absolutely and it's incredible just hearing you describe everything that's going on pre-snap what you think he's going to do your how you practiced against him, how he played against you what yeah. you know about him what you know about yourself and this is in five seconds you have to come up with all these things in your head so it's, yeah. it's incredible <laughs> just hearing you go through all that and you, you have to do it like that and there's so much here so i'll go ahead and run uh, run it through real fast
2: it is an incredible sequence
5: yeah, yeah there's
2: justin or yeah, yeah jj yeah so jj blows up the center the center's like can we call a penalty? Like, nah, you just got beat, dude. Like, relax. (laughs) And Joe blows up his guy, takes him to the ground. Nas fits. And so I jump out of my gap. I split the double team, and I try to, like, I got to bend it back, because I know, like, I know everybody's going forward. I know everybody's doing their job. So I know if I can get back to that A-gap between the center and Trey Turner, like, I know we kind of got something cooking here. Because if I don't, then I kind of leave Drew on an island here with, I'm in the B-gap, and Drew has to, like, play a gap and then he has to cover for me and then eventually you know, have to flow off ben if it's play action pass so
3: mm-hmm. you know incredible
2: but yeah this is great chinna sets the edge i mean just great by everybody okay Thanks. this is, yeah love this play too
3: yeah this was huge i mean this was um two point conversion right yeah two point conversion yep they had just scored it was 24 22 Mm -hmm. they get the two points they tie it up and who knows how the rest of the game goes we know how it went you guys ended up blowing them out but this was it was a very (laughs) very tight situation at this point again only down two and you you guys needed this really bad you guys came away with it so you know walk me through it
2: so all right pre-snap here i mean they come out with i believe that's a I don't know if that's an extra lineman, but ex- that's, like a, that's a big wing, right? That's We call that a wing, right? So that's a big wing. And the odds are you're not going to run to Jonah Williams' side with all these Cincinnati players to the, the right side of your formation. So most likely what they're going to do is they're either going to run a wide zone to, to the big wing side or they're going to block it down. And, and as a lot of teams call it, they run duo. The odds of them running wide zone here to the boundary is very slim. So I know in my mind, all right, wide zone's out the picture. So they're not going to run wide zone. So I don't have to worry about, all right, getting on my horse and running sideline to sideline. So the next thing in line is duo, which is pretty much they like to just wash everything down on this side of the formation. So I'm lining up on the guard. I think that's um, a Denji. And I know that tackle, just from his stance, if you look at his right leg, it's at a 45. Uh, 45 degree angle. So I know he's planting down because he's number one, he's not going to go side to side in that stance. And number two, he's not going to go. He's not going to um, try to pull or anything. I know he's going to plant off that right foot and try to drive down block, whatever's in the way. Pre-snap, I'm thinking in my mind, all right, I know that tackle's coming down. I know this guard's going to try to double team me. I'm not going to make the play, but I got to somehow create a cavity to where Drew and Kaiser can at least make a play over the pile on top. Or give them time to flow and scrape to the left and everybody just does their job here cc handles the center jerry handles the fan block fan block is just man on man to the back side and kyler's just such a dependable guy <laughs> we always have this uh this saying have no fear FAC is here <laughs> <laughs> kyler's just one of those guys that's like you don't got to worry about him he's just so dependable as a player on defense special teams whatever he does and everybody, Joe just does his job, and I mean, we all just kind of create a new line of scrimmage so that Drew and Kaiser can go make a play here.
3: Okay, run it through little fast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Inches. They had a they.
1: There was like a penalty too, right? So this was really like a short. Conversion.
2: Yeah, it was like half the distance. I think you're right. They did have a penalty before this play. Very right. That's a great job by Joe here. If you rewind it, you watch Joe Mm -hmm. on the double team. So Joe knows too. Joe, you see that tackle in his stance. I mean, that right tackle, like, you don't even have to play football to know that right tackle is coming downhill. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, his stance is so wide and he's planted off that back (laughs) foot. Like, you know, it's just, it's normal driving. And that that tight end, that big O-line with him, Mm -hmm. he is eyeballing Joe like a mug right now, like he's trying to (laughs) take Joe's lunch money. So I know like if I can get my big body into that B gap with Joe and create some type of just pile and, and force there, I can help Joe play this double team better and I can just eliminate an extra body that doesn't have to touch the linebacker here. Yeah, this is great. Drew just shoots his gun. This is great. I love that Drew shooting his gun there causes Joe Mixon to have to bounce out. There's no yeah. eight run for 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 Joe Mixon on the backside. I think Chenna like destroys this tight end too here. I didn't get to see Chenna. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> dude, Chenna's a freak, man. He's he, he he man. He's he balled so so well towards the end of the season. Like mm-hmm. that pick, this I think, game in
1: particular too.
2: Yeah, this game. And, like, the Kansas City pick, mm. I don't know if y'all noticed, but, like, early in the game, he almost – he could have picked one off yeah. at, like, midfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was joking with Chinna, like, before the game, like, leading up to practice all week. He was like, man, Pat is the only dude I haven't sacked on all the teams we played. Like, man, I got to get sack on him. He comes to the sideline after the pick. I was like, do you want to trade the pick for a sack? He's like, hell <laughs> <I don't> no. <know." laughs> Probably one of the best plays I've ever seen that in the goal line stand against Denver. Mm, where drew drew lock was trying to haul and and joey just makes a crazy play
1: well that was joey too because joey went like the first three or four years of of that rivalry too and and uh it wasn't until week two last year that he got his first sack against pat too wow i didn't know that i did not know that yeah maybe that's just pat's thing i guess i don't know
3: (laughs) he's kind (laughs) of (laughs) good all right i'll run this play through and then we'll go to our last play which is we're gonna switch sides of the ball here and go to offense because I gotta know what's going through everyone's minds on this play here. I think the whole drive, you know, this is first and 10 from the 12, this is going to be the final play of regulation and you gotta score or you lose or you're out or you're gone. You know, what was it like heading into this moment? What was everybody's what was everybody talking about? This must have been one of the most incredible things that you've ever seen. Steven and I were sitting in the stands and we couldn't <laughs> believe what we were seeing fourth down, fourth down, fourth down, fourth down, converting all the way down the field. What was it like for everyone? What was it like for you? And then we'll talk about the play.
2: Dude, so I stand next to Scott. Whenever like we get done off defense, we get our adjustments from GIF and, and Coach Daly. I I like to watch the game. So I stand next to Scott and, and Easton Stick. And chase, like they always stand opposite down the the opposite side of the field so they can watch the game. So stick has the headset on, so he gets the calls. So he knows mm. the play. And then Scott tells me what the like, all right, this is what we're doing. We're running here, we're throwing this. And so going to this play, he was like, He's gonna look, he's gonna try to look for they were gonna try they they had this little bunch of the boundary. Um they call it FIB formation in the boundary and you can tend to mix defenses up right with the route concepts, the route trees, the spacing, you know, you got a bunch of guys lined up here and then you run some over routes like the point man with Keenan, you know, you can have him run an over route towards the middle of the field and like is that Jared right there, you can kind of mix it up and have Jared run like a wheel, you can have Josh run a deep dagger, stuff like that and and the best part about it is you isolate Mike over here at the top of the formation and you give Mike Williams a big receiver all that space in the field. So yeah. I don't know, like, I'm not an offensive guru, but just playing defense, you kind of just kind of know these things pre-snap. Like, oh, they got FIB, who's the point man? And having Keenan as the point man is very dangerous. Like, and then you isolate him and Mike opposite each other. It's like, oh, like, geez, like, all right, who are we going to cover here? Who are we going to bracket? But, bro, I'm, I'm watching this on the sideline. And, like, this throw and catch right here, I honestly think this was a crazy one. But the throw to Josh Palmer on fourth and twenty-three.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think that was probably the best play I've ever seen in person. Like, and I've been a part of some really good football games. Like, that was probably one of the craziest. Like, it was a dart. Like Justin mm-hmm. threw a dart.
3: Yeah, no, Josh Palmer comes up in clutch again against the Patriots. It was a little bit late, but that incredible catch on the sideline. And then, of course, there he I think Williams tapped himself out and subbed out because mm-hmm. he was exhausted. Palmer mm-hmm. comes in and catches what, what, at the time, was the biggest play of the game. It was incredible. Crazy play. I mean, what what a, s- a series of drives. It was incredible. It's all good.
5: Wow.
1: That's... The, the end zone view here, too. I don't know if you have both, but like he throws this ball before Mike is even like turned around. Okay,
3: you have both. Okay. Yeah, I don't oh, know if man, he's you no. can see him or not, but
2: that's that's so that's such great protection from Rashawn though, right there on the inside move. Is that Yannick number ninety one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Yannick Yannick's threat, right? Like, and this is before he gets the receivers, but I love watching the good old line play. Like Yannick loves to do the cross chop, like speed mm-hmm. dip the outside, so. Rashawn as a rookie ideally should overset here it's a three-man rush and knowing that he has Matt Filer help inside I know if I'm a tackle I'm gonna overset Yannick Ngakwe every time because Yannick Ngakwe is a crazy speed rusher like Mm. he wants to beat you on the edge so I'm thinking pre snap all right Rashawn's gonna overset here Rashawn sets patient as if he's not worried about not a, not quite speed rush like that in the words of coach daily that's gangster like bro that's that's a this is a gangster set because if i'm playing against you right and and like you know as an offensive lineman you know Braden foco's bread and butter is a power rush or, or he's a power player you're going to try to beat me with speed. You're going to try to beat me with agility. You know, you're going to try to counter. You're not going to counter power with power. Like Rashawn Slater is countering power with power here. Like you throw a haymaker, he's sitting there taking it. He's going to throw one right back. Like this is crazy. He allows – he goes inside, which allows just an extra time to roll out right there to the left and just throw a dart to Mike on this play. It all starts from the protection from Rashawn. He's so good. <laughs> and he's crazy good generational just punches them in the chest oh my gosh that's a crazy play such a good play see this is what i'm talking about like pre-snap just like the spacing mike has here so like i mean i'm not a defensive coordinator i don't know if i'd put three safeties on the on like right on the end line but every every coordinator kind of has their preference like you could even throw a wheel to jared cook here like if jared hits the six yard line and there's still that spacing between him and that slot corner or whoever that nickel is. Like you could honestly throw a dart to Jared and have him like reach out and he'll probably get it because he's like six six. But pre-snap Mike Williams to the field with all that spacing oh, you're just asking for trouble honestly. Oh and he fits it in there. Oh my God. That's we so were crazy. so I was running out for PA, uh field goal protection and I was like Bro, we're really about to go into overtime with these dudes. Let's go. You
1: know, Tyler and I, we were sitting in the opposite corner of this. We were in section 201, like, towards where Jared Cook is running. And we honestly, like, no one in the section could believe, like, what was happening. The Raiders fans thought that it was an incomplete pass, of course. <laughs> you know, we were all going crazy, like, okay, where's the signal? Where's the signal? And so this whole game was just nuts. And I, I, I've said this a bunch of times, but after Justin threw the interception to Casey Hayward, we were like okay like that's that's the season right but then he just comes back with the haymakers and like just the best fourth quarter quarterback play i think i've ever seen in my entire life
2: you know what you know what i think was the the turning point of this game like you everybody could talk about the run the timeout but i don't know if y'all remember so the raiders we held them to a field goal on the first overtime drive they had we came out and we ran a, a, a rpo where Jared took it for like 40 yeah. yards down the field, and they called
1: the they called the penalty on Filer. Yeah, they called it
2: illegal. And and what I don't get right is you can't call illegal man downfield if you're connected on a double team block. Like him and Corey were connected on the two eye which, mm. like, bro, that's your two eyes getting blown up. Like that's not illegal man downfield. You know, if your defensive lineman's out here getting blown up, that you you can't. What am I supposed to do? Like not play hard. And so me and Scott are standing next to each other. We're like, "How is that illegal man downfield? He's connected on a double team." And Jared takes the RPO, and he takes it for like 40, and they call a, a illegal man downfield. And that's, I think, what really changed the game because we we did go down and we tied it up with the field goal, but the momentum after Jared took that pass and caught it and completed it, like you if you watch the Raiders defense, like they were like, "Oh my god." Like, they're rolling. Like, they, they were all hanging their heads after that play. Like, honest, honestly. Mm. Like, we are watching on the sideline, and they were hanging their heads, and they called the flag, and it was just like a new life for them. I think that was the turning point of the game. Because if they don't call that, I think we just go down and score in, like, two or three more plays.
4: Wasn't the only call the refs missed in that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you're in Vegas, man, you know you got to go against the odds. So Vegas always wins, right? <laughs>
1: very true. Very true. Well, this has been awesome, man. I, you know, I've never sat down and broken down film with an NFL player, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, enjoyed all of your uh, conversations and stories about Coach O and everybody. Uh, what's this offseason going to be like for you, man? What do you got in the works over the next few months, and kind of what's your what's your plan over the next uh, few months? Like
2: I said, man, just kind of homed in on, you know, just family time, and um, I just built a gym. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the first things I wanted to do, like when I started getting some real money was invest it smartly. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I just I plan to never leave the house unless I need to, you know, when I go to the field for D-line work, but just working out, um, expanding my my array of of taste and food in the kitchen, <laughs> trying to cook new yeah. things, um, taking the dog on walks and just, you know, sitting back and enjoying time because I know when we hit it again in year two with coach Staley and, and coach Giff and all those guys, you know, we mean business. And when we had exit meetings, the look on everybody's faces was like, you know, we can't play football next week, but when we get back in this building, you know, we're going to get this thing rolling. We ain't looking back. So, you know, I'm ready to go. And you know, I know all the guys are are enjoying their time as well in the off season. And I know everybody can't wait to get back to it in April whenever we start OTAs and then shoot, just get get the dice rolling from there.
1: Awesome, man. Really looking forward to uh, seeing the rest of your journey with the Chargers and obviously can't wait for uh, the offseason to get rolling. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us, Braden. Really appreciate it and uh, hope everybody enjoyed this. You know, we told Braden we were going to do a half hour, turned into 56 minutes. So uh, hope you enjoyed this one, guys. And again, Braden, thank you so much for joining us.
2: I always appreciate y'all for having me. I enjoyed it. It was fun.
5: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.